welcome back to Claim the Stage. How are we? It's been a couple weeks. Episode 140, here we are. And you might notice we have new music. Do you love it? What does it remind you of? One guess. <laughs> Do you feel like you're in an 80s video game right now? Do you feel like you should be swimming underwater, shooting pellets at tiny fish? <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about a specific video game, just any video game in the 80s, really. I had been thinking about getting new music and kind of updating the, the sound of the podcast, and then my friend Chris Collins put out this new song, and I heard it, he put it on his Instagram profile, and I was like, that's it. So I grabbed it, and here it is. And it may not scream public speaking podcast, but it really speaks to my heart, and I think that's important, and I hope it speaks to yours. So welcome to the new updated Claim the Stage podcast. If we haven't met, I'm Angela Lucier, and I'm the host of the show, and I'm also an author, a speaker, and CEO and founder of The Speaker Sisterhood. And interestingly enough, this episode is sponsored by The Speaker Sisterhood. So let me tell you a little bit about us, because sometimes I mention it on the podcast, sometimes I don't. And if you're here to learn about public speaking, you probably want to know more about Speaker Sisterhood. So let me take just a sec to t walk you through what it is. Did you know that public speaking is our number one fear? You've probably read that or heard that somewhere. It's pretty common knowledge at this point. It's even more scary to people than actual death. So, you know, it's a pretty scary subject. <laughs> but did you also know that public speaking is a skill and it's something you can improve if you work at it? This is the most important piece because you can be afraid of public speaking, but you can also work on that fear so you don't always have to avoid being at the front of the room or avoid raising your hand in a meeting in fear of doing public speaking. So why not work on it in a comfy community alongside other women? Couldn't that be really fun? Speaker Sisterhood is a network of public speaking clubs for women who want to find their voice, craft a meaningful message, and build confidence for online presentations and on stage. So if you're struggling giving your, your speech in a meeting online, or if you just struggle with having to speak up in life, Speaker Sisterhood can help you with that. And we have a whole curriculum, we have a structure for every meeting, we have trained facilitators, we have members who've been there for three years, three months, one meeting, and you'll get to meet a whole bunch of women who are on that same journey of building their speaking skills, learning about themselves along the way, and encouraging and supporting each other in the club. So you can go to speakersisterhood.com and click on the club directory to find a club. And as always, your first meeting is free. So if that sounds interesting to you, check it out. We love it. We hope you do too. And all right, let's get back to the show. I wanted to make sure that you had that little update. Now, a couple weeks ago, I put out episode 138, the answers episode. I put answers in quotes. <laughs> if you listen to the episode, you know why. <laughs> if you haven't listened to the episode yet, I'd recommend going back and listening to it because I'm going to be referencing it a lot probably for the rest of the year because I revealed a lot in that episode about a lot of the changes I've been going through. And what I notice about myself is that when I go through some sort of transformation or growth phase, I like to take what I've learned and integrate it into my work so I can help other people. Because something I've learned is that when I'm struggling and when I have questions and when I'm 
trying to work through something, I'm often not the only person who feels that way. Do you notice that in your own life too? I remember attending a retreat a couple of years ago and the woman who was running the retreat said, if you have a question, you should ask it because you're not only asking it for yourself, you're asking it for the person sitting next to you who's too afraid to raise her hand but has the same question. And when she said that, I realized, wow, I bet this happens all the time in life where we think we're the only one who's confused or we think we're the only one who's scared. But in actuality, everybody feels that way, but no one's talking about it. So I wanted to talk more about what I have uncovered about myself and what happened as a result of that episode because I think it's important to do (laughs) follow-up and also just that was a really heavy episode and I've gotten a lot of comments about it and emails and specifically the part where I talk about addiction and coming to terms with my own addictions like really seeing myself as the workaholic that I am as the love addict that I am and the codependent and It was really funny after the episode, a friend called me and she said, hey, I just listened to your episode. It was really good. Thanks for sharing everything. One thing though, um, did you really not know you were a workaholic? (laughs) I was like, I think I, I knew I worked a lot and I knew I loved working. So I was able to justify it in a positive way and say, well, the more work I do, the more help I can give other people. So I never saw it as an addiction. And she's like, okay, because everybody else knew you were a workaholic. So it's not like this was new information. (laughs) Um, But I had to really internalize and accept what it really meant to be a workaholic. Because there's something different about saying, oh, I love to work and actually having an addiction to it. And addiction is more about avoiding pain and using it to cover up whatever feelings you don't want to deal with. So that was a big shift for me. So after I recorded that episode, I had a vulnerability hangover for like four days. And if you're not familiar with vulnerability hangovers, (laughs) basically it's after you've just purged a lot of personal information, either to a friend or to a group, or in my case, um, an entire podcast audience, you have this feeling of dread and shame and fear and exhaustion and a little depression and anxiety because you realize, oh my God, I just bared my soul. What if they don't like me anymore? And I just showed them all my cards and everything's on the table. So anything can happen now. I've just left myself completely open to criticism, rejection, anything anybody wants to say, because I am in the most vulnerable spot I've ever been. And I, like I said, that was about four days, and I really just wanted to pull that podcast episode off of all the outlets and just pretend like it never happened. But then emails started to come in from listeners saying, thank you so much for sharing that, and that was really helpful. You helped me answer some questions about myself, and you know, your vulnerability is helping me to realize I need to get honest about the stuff I'm avoiding. And when I started reading that stuff, I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I did this. Okay. (laughs) Okay, all right, everything's going to be okay. And I left it up. And after those four days, the cloud lifted, that, that big shame, fear, anxiety cloud lifted, and all of a sudden I felt clearer, lighter, and more confident than ever in my entire life. And I've felt that way ever since. And that was about a month ago. 
and I am walking on clouds every day. And I know that sounds like, oh, okay, what is this, a movie? Like, is this your Hollywood ending? <laughs> like, who does that, does that really happen? But what it, what it showed me was that in sharing those things, I was able to release the shame around it. And yeah, it felt really gross for a couple days, but then I realized like, it's okay. I'm actually fine. It's all fine. And if someone doesn't like me because of whatever I shared on that podcast, that's okay. Everyone doesn't have to like me. And getting comfortable with the notion that I don't have to be liked by everybody is humongous because that's part of codependency. (laughs) Um, So that showed me a lot of my own growth too. And it made me realize, you know, I, I am growing, and I have more to do, but this was a big milestone in my growth. And so I share this part of the episode, of my, my journey with you because I want to encourage you to not be afraid to speak up and say the things that are true for you to the people you love or the people that you think need to hear it. And Speaker Sisterhood helps with that because it helps you practice using your voice in a place where it's non-threatening. This isn't, um, this isn't the, ep- the commercial part of the episode. <laughs> But I wanted to mention that because that is a big part of why a lot of our members are there because they have important things to say in the world, but they're not quite ready to say them on a big stage or to the people who need to hear them. So they say them there. And what I'm really, what's funny to me is like, you know, I have this organization and I still struggle with this so much. And I don't think I'm an expert at it, but I have recognized the value of becoming a trained public speaker and how it has changed my life. And now I'm going to another level of how I can be even more honest with myself and with my audience in an effort to try and show other people that it's okay. Because when you're not hiding from yourself, life feels so much better. And when you're not afraid to show up for yourself, it, it's like a weight is lifted and you get to just be you. And that's a really fun feeling. <laughs> and I think I avoided feeling like me for a long time because I was so used to just feeding those addictions and I was afraid of what would what would happen if I wasn't showing up that way. And the good thing is, is when you address it, really beautiful things can come from it. I listened to a podcast. I listened to so many podcasts, so I'm going to just keep on talking about podcasts on my show for a long time. It's called Hurry Slowly and I love it so much. It's like for recovering workaholics. (laughs) And one of her episodes that came out in March, it's on iTunes, it's called What If You're Not Broken? And it was just like a 15-minute episode. I think she's reading an essay she wrote. And it was so meaningful to me to to hear that episode because there was a part of me too that thought, wow, having these addictions means there's something wrong with me and I need to heal before I can be in another relationship or really get back to work and like none of that is true because you can address these things and you're not broken and it's not like these are flaws or character traits that I need to necessarily like be embarrassed about they're just me like it's just me it's it's who I am and it's stuff that I'm working on because we're all working on stuff so that really helped make me made me feel better and my friend Martha who is 80 years old she and I, we say we're sisters from another mother because we have such similar experiences and viewpoints, although she's 41 years older than me. <laughs> but she said something to me the other day when she was referencing a past relationship she was in. She said, when something becomes undiscussable, that's a signal to do something about it. 
So I'll just say that again. When something becomes undiscussable, that's a signal to do something about it. And I loved that she said that because I noticed there are times in my life when I don't speak up and I, I notice like in relationships where I get scared of what if I tell the person the truth about this and those are moments to pay attention to because there's information there that can help you to grow and to step into something else. So I wanted to share that as well. So anyway, I'm feeling re-energized. I'm feeling really good and excited about the next steps of learning more about myself and how I can continue to show up as myself. And I wanted to let you guys know I'm okay and everything's going great. And I'm sure I'll have another existential crisis soon, but we're just going to like start here. (laughs) So today's episode is four more ways to look and feel powerful, confident, and relaxed while speaking. So you might be asking, why is it four more ways? What What were the other four? There's another episode I recorded last year. It's called Four Ways to Look and Feel Powerful, Confident, and Relaxed While Speaking. And would you, would you know, when I looked at the statistics for my podcast, that was the most listened to episode I've ever done. Out of all my interviews and all my episodes, that was the number one. And I thought, well, if everyone wants to know, maybe I should tell four more things. So here we are today. I have four more ways. And I was excited about this list when I put it together, and I thought, you know, I could probably do one of these episodes every other month, because there's so many things that can help you to improve your power, confidence, and stress when you're speaking. So these four are things that I've done for years and have learned to be really critical. And I'm going to share a couple stories and hopefully give you some tips that you can try next time you have to give a presentation, whether it's online or on stage. So number one, you've probably heard this before, (laughs) but it bears repeating. Perfect is boring. Don't aim for perfect, aim for real. And, you know, it's funny, I work with a lot of clients who are interested in putting together a speech for a TED talk or for, you know, a big meeting, and they want their speech to be perfect. They want to memorize it word for word. They want to memorize their body language and the pauses, and they want everything to come out almost robotic. And it's the process of getting them to see their speech differently to help take the pressure off from trying to be perfect to trying to be real. And I just want to create a little scenario for you first before we get into this more. Imagine you just saw a speaker at a conference for 30 minutes, and you're walking out of the room with a friend, and your friend says to you, oh my God, that, that speaker was amazing. She was perfect. She didn't say an um. She didn't stutter. She didn't forget anything she was going to say. Every sentence was perfectly delivered. She smiled at all the right moments. She didn't use notes. Wasn't it so perfect? I could never imagine anybody ever saying that about a speaker. Do you know what they would say instead? Imagine walking out of the room. You just saw a speaker for 30 minutes, and your friend turns to you and says, that speaker was so authentic. She was so real. I felt like I heard myself in her stories. She was so vulnerable. I can't believe how honest she was. She really told the truth up there. Can you imagine someone saying that? I can. I can imagine that 
a hundred thousand times more than the first version of like, she didn't miss a beat. Like, <laughs> yes, you want to have, you want to be somewhat polished and you don't want to be up there making things up and not be prepared, but you also don't want to be so perfect that there's no human or humanity to it. It's more about showing up as yourself and letting yourself maybe make a mistake. You know, research has shown that if you fall getting up onto the stage, your audience will like you more. And that's because it shows your humanity. It shows that you're a person too. And then people start to root for you. So if you make a mistake in your speech and you go, oh, you know what? I just made a mistake. Your audience will fall in love with you because you're telling the truth and you're not trying to pretend. So I want to just take off that pressure to feel like you have to be perfect in order to be a good speaker, in order to make an impact and to be memorable and for your audience to fall in love with you. Your audience will love you for you. So you want to be prepared, and we're going to get into that in the other points I make today, but you also just want to show up and say, like, this is me. And sometimes <laughs> I, I laugh at myself and sometimes... I do crazy things. <laughs> and everyone will go, yeah, me too. <laughs> so let's just take the pressure off right now and say, perfect is boring. Don't aim for that. And the way that you can be honest and vulnerable and real and authentic is by telling stories and telling the truth in those stories. And they don't have to necessarily be stories about you. They can be stories about people you've helped. They can be about your, your company or your team. They can be about you know, someone that you saw at the park and observed and learned something from. It's about illustrating life and you through your stories. And the more of those stories that you can share, the more people will remember you. Because the big thing in public speaking is no one remembers really what you said, but they remember how you made them feel. So you'll give them those warm and fuzzy feelings by just showing up as you. All right, tip number two. Nail a few key points. And by few, I mean two to three, not 30. And I've talked about this so many times before, but I'm putting it back into this episode because it bears repeating. Don't overstuff your burrito. I don't know about you, but every time I'm at a burrito bar, by the time I get to the end of it, I cannot... I cannot fold the burrito. <laughs> oh my God, beans and queso and chicken and salsa and guacamole. Before I know it, I've got a plate of amazing things, but I cannot fold that burrito to save my life. So I end up eating it with a fork and I like cut off pieces of the burrito. <laughs> Anybody with me on this? Not such a big problem if you're at you know, a Mexican restaurant eating in the booth by yourself. But if you're up on stage, you don't want a speech that's so stuffed with amazingness that when your audience leaves the room, they have no idea what you just said. You want it to be boiled down to a couple key points that you give examples for and tell stories for, and you let them work in small groups, you ask them questions, and you really try to engage them in those few key points so that they remember them and they stick with them. And you can get to those few key points by asking yourself, like, what problem do I want to solve for my audience? And once you know that, you can work backwards to determine what those two or three things are that you really want to teach them. And that one small equation is all you really need to build a speech that will totally crush 
because it's the formula for success. It's the formula that says, I'm speaking directly to my audience. I'm giving them something that is beneficial to them and I'm packaging in a way that they can understand and take home with them and not feel like I was just hit with a fire hose for an hour. And I see speakers do this all the time. And a lot of the reason, the biggest reason for that is insecurity and feeling like if I don't give them a lot, they're gonna think I don't know anything. And that's not true, because you wouldn't be on that stage to begin with if you didn't know anything. And the easier you make something to understand, the more it shows that you're the expert, because you're able to boil down complex, extensive, you know, <laughs> difficult concepts into language and ideas that people can easily digest and take home. And I don't know about you, but I've sat in the audience before and just stared at a speaker thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. He's not talking in layman's terms or in a way that someone who's brand new to this topic could understand it. He's just up there talking in technical terms and trying to show us all of his amazing accomplishments, but he's not even thinking about who we are and what we already know and don't know and what we need to know today. And it doesn't do any service to your audience to show up that way it kind of makes them leave feeling like that person didn't even consider us. So the best thing you can do is keep your audience in mind and then build those two or three key points and really hammer them home and flash them out to make sure that everyone leaves knowing exactly what those key points were. I give a one hour keynote called Discover Your Power Voice and my three key points are that public speaking is about mind, body, and spirit. And I spend 35 or 40 minutes on those three key points. And then the first 20 minutes or so, I spend introducing public speaking and telling some different stories and some mindset shifts and helping people reframe what it is and getting them interested and maybe even wanting to do it. And then the take-home points are about the mind, body, and spirit of speaking. So they can be high level, and you can break them down into smaller chunks, but you need to know for yourself what do I really want them to know and how, I'm going, how am I going to make sure they know it? So that's number two, nail a few key points. Number three is really, really important. <laughs> um, it's about self-awareness. It's know your weaknesses and your fears so you can set yourself up for success. As I said, public speaking is the number one fear, but that's a very generic statement because we are all afraid of different things when it comes to speaking. In general, we're afraid of rejection, but what below that is your reason for being afraid of public speaking? For some people, it's being afraid of freezing and forgetting your speech. Other people, it's they have... Um, insecurities about their body and they don't want the audience looking at them. They don't want to be the center of attention. For other people, it's that they're kind of new in their field and they don't feel confident enough sharing information to people in the audience who could be experts. There's a lot of different reasons to be afraid of public speaking. And when I really thought about what parts of public speaking were my weaknesses and what made me afraid of it, even after years and years of doing it, I realized that I had one part of the whole experience that typically scared me the most, and that was the first two minutes of the speech. It was, I would be thinking to myself, if I can just get through those first two minutes, I'll be fine. 
And, and originally I thought that it was because I had a hard time with transitioning from sitting in the audience to turning it on and getting on stage and trying to like win over the audience. And then I realized it really had to do with like feeling like I had to audition and entertain and become somebody else for those two minutes so that the audience would like me and trust me and believe in me and want to stay and you know, just make them care and like me. And so I felt like I had to be this like clown, not, not trying to perform in that way, but like I had to become somebody. And actually on episode 45 of my podcast, I interviewed Vanessa Van Edwards and she talked extensively about the first 15 seconds of your speech and how that is the time when the audience is evaluating you subconsciously of, are you a friend or a foe? Are you someone I can trust? Are you dangerous? Are you cool and are you confident? And are you popular? You know, all these different things that we run through to decide whether or not we should listen to somebody. And me having that awareness made those two minutes or 15 seconds even very stressful because you have to be able to show all those things. So what I ended up doing to try to compensate for that fear was I would play a game. As soon as I got up to the stage, I would say, my name, hi, how's it going? We're gonna start with a game. And I would have everybody get up and pick a partner and they would play a game which would last, I don't know, four or five minutes. And in those four or five minutes, they were laughing, they were getting to know another audience member, they were following my directions without me really being the center of attention and we were building a bond without me feeling like I had to perform for them. And by the time the game was over, everyone was clapping. We would be kind of feeling lighter and the, the vibe felt more friendly and comfortable. And they would sit down and then I would t describe why we played the game. And everyone was really engaged because they wanted to know what did we just do and why. And that was a great way for me to deal with my fear of them not liking me and it would help me get past those first couple of minutes of jitters and feel like we're all friends now. This is not a group of strangers. We're all here together having this experience. And then I could get into the speech. And that has worked for me for years. And I keep doing it because I love it. I think it's a great thing for me. I think it's a great thing for the audience to have that opportunity to move around and have fun. And I continue to integrate games and interaction into all my speeches because it helps me relax and it also helps the audience to learn. And that's a great thing for everybody. <laughs> so I took my weakness and my fear and I turned it into a way to improve my presentations. So if you wanna feel powerful and confident and relaxed, know the things you're up against. Know yourself and where you think you might get the most nervous. I know that I used to use slides and I would show up at the venue and I can't even tell you how many times. It was like a technical nightmare. The laptop doesn't work. We don't have an extension cord that goes to the outlet. The screen won't come down. Something's wrong with the projector. No one can find the clicker. I mean, it's like everything you can possibly think of has gone wrong so many times. And that is such a, a point of stress for me, because especially if you rely on your slides for part of your speech and you, you don't have them anymore, it's like, yeah, the, the audience doesn't know what they're missing, but you know what they're missing. <laughs> and it's not, 
It's not making your, um, your speech better. So I cut out that whole piece. I got rid of slides, and I got rid of slides for a lot of reasons, but also that reason, because I didn't want to have to rely on it, and it cut out so much stress for me. So if you know the things that are going to cause you stress, you can plan for them and set yourself up for success. So that is a tip number three. Tip number four is embody your love for the topic. This is a huge one, and this is one of the things I talk about in the speech I just mentioned, discover your power voice. Do you know the things that make speeches like awful? Probably. If you can you imagine yourself sitting in an audience practically falling asleep, what is the speaker doing or not doing? Chances are they're talking in a monotone voice. And their pacing is consistent, so there's no up and down, there's no pauses, it's just this like long stretch of flat road. <laughs> there's nothing, there's no drama. There's nothing to wake you up out of the slumber. <laughs> so you as the audience member, you're looking for something. You're looking for passion. You're looking for this person to show some kind of emotion that will get you excited about it, and it's not happening. So flip it around. When you're the speaker, your job is to infuse your love of your topic into the audience. And the way to do that is to show your love for your topic in the way that you talk and the way that you move. And you can do that by giving your speech from your heart instead of from your head. And the way you do that is by, before you get on stage, you sit and you center in your heart and you feel your topic in your heart. You feel it in your body and that's where your energy comes from. And this works if you do it. A lot of people are so worked up about speaking that they're just focused on memorizing their speech and coming from that memorized place. But when you can come from your heart, your audience cares about it so much more and they get so much more from it. In Speaker Sisterhood, our first speech is called Love and it's about giving a speech about where love lives for you. And a couple of years ago, I was sitting in a club meeting and I witnessed a woman give a speech about farmer's markets. And when she got up, she started talking about farmer's markets. And I was like, okay, yeah, I like farmer's markets. Like I go to them in my area and I like getting fresh produce and local produce and, you know, supporting local farmers. But by the end of that speech, I was like, I love farmer's markets. Like I could not wait to get to one. I could not wait to like get my hands on some fresh kale, you know, <laughs> it was like, this woman did such a good job of infusing love into her speech that all I wanted to do was get to a farmer's market. And she did it right. She didn't just give us a memorized speech about going to a farmer's market. She spoke from her heart. And that makes such a huge difference. And it is a great way to feel powerful and confident and relaxed because you're coming from a place of passion and love and joy. And what's better than that? And a person that I often cite when I'm talking about this is Jimmy Fallon, because I, I have always felt since I've seen him on Saturday Night Live and his own Tonight Show, that he constantly comes from a place of love in his interviews and in his monologue and his little skits. He just seems to be having such a great time and he 
he emotes so much joy that it's hard not to enjoy watching him. So you want to have that same connection with your audience. Like, how can I bring something to them that will make them feel the joy that I feel for it? And if you don't feel joy for it, find a way to feel joy for it. A couple of years ago, I was asked to give a six-part social media workshop for women business owners. This was actually like 10 years ago, actually. It was like when people were still like, should I use Facebook for business? How is that going to work? And so I started, I said yes to it. And as I started to build the workshops, I felt like, oh my God, I don't really care about this. <laughs> like, I care about women business owners, but I don't really care about social media. So... I thought, how can I find an angle that I do care about so that this can be exciting for me to deliver so they get more from it? And I realized I love the storytelling element of social media. How do you tell your story as a business owner and as a business on social media? That's exciting to me. So that was the angle I chose. And the series was a huge success. And I think if I didn't take the time to think about my angle, I probably would have hated presenting it and would have been really bored. And I would have resented being there. And they probably wouldn't have gotten as much from it either because they would have seen that I didn't really care. So don't go through the motions just because you need the paycheck or because your boss asked you to give the presentation or because you're supposed to do it. Think about where your love lives and come from there. Now, I had talked to a woman. I gave a speech a couple years ago when I was on my speaking tour. She came up to me afterwards after I talked about this concept, and she said, look, I, I work in water filtration. And she just stared at me. <laughs> And I said, okay, I'm guessing you don't like your job. <laughs> and she said, no, I don't. I want to be a yoga instructor. I don't want to work at, in water filtration, but I do because it pays the bills. And I said, all right, well, what do you like about yoga? And she said, well, I like helping people feel healthy. And I said, all right, well, is there any... Uh, when, when you think about water filtration, why do you think we use water filtration? And she stood there for probably a solid minute and goes... Oh, to help people feel healthy. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she goes, you know, I always thought about it from the standpoint of what I know about water filtration and how it works and explaining the like actual process of it to my customers. But I'm not thinking about the benefit of water filtration and why we actually do it. She said, if I can think about water filtration from the standpoint of making people feel healthy then I can love talking about it. And I was like, exactly. So my assignment to you, everyone listening, if you're going to give a speech, think about the angle of how you can come from the heart instead of from the head, and your audience will love you for it, and they will get more from it. So that is tip number four. Embody your love for the topic because your energy matters. So there you have it, you guys. Those are our four more ways to look and feel powerful, confident, and relaxed while speaking. I hope you loved it. I will keep doing these episodes because there's so many more tips. Who knew? Um, guess what? I love making this show for you. And you can show me some love by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. That would be super helpful. As I mentioned in one of my last episodes, when people search for public speaking on iTunes, mine is the fifth or sixth podcast that comes up. And that is awesome. But I would love to be number one. And one of the ways I get to number one is by getting more ratings and reviews. So if you want to help me out, I would love for you to do that. And it only takes a minute or two. Also, 
Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood and it's recorded in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Chris Collins. Thank you, Chris. For information about sponsorship and being an upcoming guest, you can fill out our contact form at speakersisterhood.com or email me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com. So until next time, you guys, that does it for me. Stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now. <laughs>